This is City AM Unregulated. I'm Emma Hazlitt. On this week's show, what can business learn from meerkats? We're, we're hardwired for stories. John Cotter, Professor of Leadership at Harvard Business School. And if they're somehow emotionally impactful, the brain, it has a stickiness factor. Everything that's wrong with PowerPoint. We'll see in a, in a, in a business, you know, hundreds over uh, a week. The brain isn't set up to assimilate all that information. And important questions like, who would win in a fight, a meerkat or a penguin? Oh, Lord. Um, frankly, the meerkat would. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to this week's City AM Unregulated podcast. This week, we're joined by John Cotter, the author of 20 books, including the legendary Our Iceberg is Melting, which is pretty much part of every MBA there is, and also Emeritus Professor at Harvard Business School. We're here to talk about his new book, That's Not How We Do It Here, and ask what can business learn from a clan of meerkats who live in the Kalahari? So what can business learn from meerkats? The meerkats just put it into a fable format, which is more fun, frankly, to read. But it's dealing with very serious issues that everybody's facing these days, which is not that just the the world is changing a little bit, but, uh, I mean, just pay attention to uh, the political situation in the last year. It's changing in unpredictable ways and um, potentially uh, very significant ways. And uh, most organizations, uh, businesses or not, other, Uh are not built to be able to um, navigate in an intelligent, smart, good way that type of, uh, in the meerkats world, we call it total habitat change. Yeah. And so it's about two very, very different kinds of clans um, that are faced with that. And um, how they handle it, and how in both cases they run into problems, and how our hero, of course, you got to have a hero, um, manages to get a light bulb uh, experience, uh, uh, a eureka experience about maybe a different way uh, to organize, and goes back to her clan and actually starts uh, pulling it off. And in this case, the light bulb moment is a massive bit of elephant poo. Well, yes. It, it, <laughs> I, I wouldn't have mentioned that, actually, because <laughs> out of context, it sounds rather gross. <laughs> but within the story, it's kind of cute. Um, so, uh, so there's a lot of symbols in this. The meerkat clans, obviously, they're companies, and we see at, at least three. Vultures are the kind of winds of change. They're the, the Trumps and Brexits of this world. What other important symbols and important agents of change are there? Well, they they have a drought going on mm-hmm. that is longer than usual, and they can't quite figure out. Or, and of course, the uh, the it, it's very easy for organizations to say, "No, this isn't unusual. We've always had droughts before. Yeah. There's nothing to worry about. Don't change anything." <laughs> um, um, and so that's going on. And as a matter of fact, all of these factors are interrelated, but interrelated in a way that's not obvious when yeah. you're on the ground trying to just deal with daily life. Um, And that's the way the world is right now. Mm -hmm. There are lots going on. It's all interrelated in complicated ways. It's very difficult to put in perspective, uh, even if you're very experienced, smart, whatever, you know, caring. (laughs) This isn't the first time you've used a fable format. You used it in Iceberg as well. Why does the fable format work? Well, uh, I... 
have paid attention to books and learning. I've been on the Harvard faculty for a long time. Mm-hmm. And um, started talking to people about how people actually do learn from uh, written material. Yeah. And um, which leads you to actually research on the brain um, and why some things actually stimulate people to try new things as opposed to they read and smile and it's all gone within hours. <laughs> and stories, if they are some, in some way compelling... We're hardwired for stories. If you go back, a very reasonable theory that everybody seems to accept, if you go back uh, far enough, that's how all learning occurred, uh, uh, except on the job, you know, when the, uh, yeah. the, uh, the saber-toothed tiger, you know, kind of <laughs> ate your friend, uh, uh, which well, we becomes a story, yeah. uh, which is told as a cautionary story. Uh, and if they're uh, somehow emotionally impactful... The brain, it has a stickiness factor. The mm-hmm. brain remembers it. And so it has a higher probability of being there. I mean, we live in this PowerPoint slide world. It's not just books. Tell me about it's it. It's PowerPoint slides. And people will, will, will see in a, in a, in a business, uh, you know, hundreds over uh, a week. Yep. And uh, they come and they go. We just can't. The brain isn't set up to assimilate all that information in that format, in that way. This is a way. So the whole concept is let's go with the way the brain is built. Let's don't yeah. fight it. <laughs> let's don't say we're smarter. You know, we've got this better idea. <laughs> uh, and and you're right. In the, in the first uh, fable we did, it was amazingly well re- uh, received. And the amount of information we have that it actually helped people. They did something with it. They didn't yeah. read it and just send nice notes. That was fun. Mm-hmm. They actually did something with it. Uh, the evidence on that is just overwhelming. So we said, gosh, <laughs> let's try it again. Um, well, I've got to say, I found it a lot easier to read than a lot of business books that I've read. Um, I, I felt like one of the themes in the book was the difference between being a manager and being a leader. What, what in your view, is the difference? Management is all about taking these these creatures we've built mostly in the last century, believe it or not, mm-hmm. that we take for granted, our employers, or organizations uh, which are run by uh, uh, putting together plans for what we're going to do for the week, the month, the year, uh, budgets around that, um, structuring people into silos uh, and jobs, uh, putting people who have the right skills allegedly in those jobs, yeah. coming up with metrics to make sure we're they're actually achieving what's on the plan, uh, problem solving with things go off. And the whole point of it is to take something that could be 10,000 people, 50,000 people spread across five comp- uh, countries or 50 countries and make it actually function, you know, get the trains to run on time. It's astonishing, really, that we're able to do this. Everybody thinks, well, yeah, but that's always been around, hasn't it? The Roman army or something? No, this is a relatively new invention. Okay. And it's amazing. And that's what management's all about. Now, leadership really has been around for, uh-huh. forever. And it's much more about um, looking at the situation and into the future and coming up with some sense of, of a vision of an opportunity for a group and uh, communicating that relentlessly. So people not only just kind of get it, but they begin to think, 
this is right. You know, it's mm-hmm. what we often call buy-in. So you get everybody kind of moving in the same direction and then um, giving them some rope. So you're empowering them, you're motivating them, et cetera. So they not only move in some direction, but they can kind of jog voluntarily, not with a whip. Um, and what leadership does is it can help uh, a group of people to not not just move into the future, but leap into the future to make to make huge changes in the way they live or work um, that are for the uh, better. Um, uh, so one is kind of maintaining the current system reliably and um, you know efficiently, and the other is all about speed, agility, and and um, a, a great future. Is one necessary to allow the other to exist? Well, you can get away with one without the other, both ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're in a totally stable environment, nothing is changing, uh, have a good management system set up, it works, everybody's happy, no problem. If you're a very small group, there's not much to manage. I mean, there's only six of you. I mean, uh, get, get, give us a break. Um, and you've got good leadership. Uh, even if the world is uh, changing, as a matter of fact, that's an opportunity for you because you're much faster and nimble and, and quick to spot the opportunities and the problems and zip by others. You can get away with leadership without much management. So it's not that you have to have one to get the other, you can have each separately and under the right conditions, at least, the world. Uh, but the, here's the issue. Today, um, I mean, there are still a lot of small businesses that are a, a couple of people. But even small businesses are getting more and more complex with all the customer base and the technology changes and, and everything else. So there is something, if not people, that has to be managed. And it's hard to find a safe harbor anywhere where things just are moving slowly. And for anybody who is in one who who thinks, well, this is going to be the future, I mean, all the evidence suggests no, 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 no. I mean, pay attention to the last world, the last year, folks. Unpredictability is going up. Your capacity to predict the, the amount of changes, I mean, this is our habitat today. Hey, as we're talking about meerkats, we thought we'd throw you back to that episode with James Reed, where he gave his advice on what to say in interviews when well, they ask no you right what animal answer best represents you. No. I mean, there are possibly some wrong answers. I mean, a snake doesn't sound great. <laughs> <laughs> his advice is basically say anything but a snake, because ooh, slimy. If you love the advice you hear on the show, remember give us an iTunes rating and subscribe. I lost $97,000 because of you. I bankrupt because of you. Yes, yes, yes. You keep changing. It feels like Uber is kind of, you know, it's really firefighting at the moment. Um, Not only have a few revelations come out about sexism within the company, but its uh, CEO was um, secretly filmed getting into a How much is the mile now? 275? You know what? What? Some people... Don't like to take responsibility for their own shit. They blame everything but in their life on somebody else. Email for town card. Good luck. Good luck to you too. But I know you don't gonna go far. And he has since said he's apologised, Travis Kalanick. 
has apologised and said, it's clear this video is a reflection of me and the criticism we've received is a stark reminder that I must fundamentally change as a leader and grow up. Now, is this a classic case of a company where there is a leader, but not necessarily a great management structure? Well, it's a good question. I haven't had any direct contact with Uber. I'm, I'm a customer, uh, along with the oh, other yeah. services, and everybody is, it seems like, <laughs> these days. But I've never met uh, this chap or seen the inside of the organization, so it's presumptuous for me to make, of saying anything. I, I mean, I can make um, um, guesses. Rapidly growing organizations, um, one of the classic problems there is they can't keep up uh, putting in enough uh, management structure to not let them kind of get out of control. Uh, it's a classic problem, and we even talk about it in our one of our little meerkat uh, clans has that as a, as a problem. Who would have guessed that uh, five years ago that there would be something called Uber and of this size? Not many people. And even uh, a month ago, uh, I think uh, most people, not everyone, uh, would have not guessed that the current uh, problem he's got himself into and the way he behaved. I mean, who would have, who was predicting that? Are we too down on management? You know, oh, yeah, when, yeah. if somebody's a middle manager, people kind of say that rudely. Oh, yeah. We, we got, uh, we, we gotten on to this, you know, leadership is good, management's bad um, theme uh, some time ago. And it's, it's very, very dangerous. The point is, one's good and one's bad. They serve different functions, for God's sakes. And there are a lot of middle managers who do a good job and they work hard. And uh, they're not quite demonized, but they're certainly not treated with much respect. And that doesn't help. I mean, come on. Give us a break, folks. Uh, we need competent managers. And we need them to be even more competent as uh, complexity increases. I'm a middle manager, so... Oh, I, I see. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, you know, you, you talk about meetings a lot in there. Um, the meerkats are attacked by vultures. Um, there are lots of disagreements about the way forward. What is it important to have meetings? Again, it's meetings is a concept that we're very negative about. No, it, it's a matter of what kind of meeting used for what and when. Um, uh, life without meetings, I mean, come on, folks, grow up. <laughs> we're we're going to have them whether we like them or not. Um, but you want them uh, to be serving a real purpose. What happens with meetings sometimes, and the reason we get down on them, is we, we establishing them as a practice. You know, uh, once upon a time, something happened, so we started the Friday morning meeting, right? And it helped. And then whatever happened is goes away. But guess what? We don't stop the Friday morning meeting. And it lives on way after its usefulness. People start to hate it. And it's that kind of uh, sentiment that begins to make us all think meetings are crazy. No, our inability to see that the world has changed, get rid of junk um, that clogs up the system, like these stu stupid meetings uh, that no longer serve a purpose, um, um, and we got to get better at that. There's a few meetings in in the book that kind of seem to serve the purpose of the the leaders or those in charge, just trying to find people to blame for various things happening. How how can you prevent that from happening? Well, well, one is is just recognizing 
that um, organizations, especially that have been around a while, but I think all, easily when something happens that's bad, human beings have uh, can easily slide into, okay, the blame meeting. All right. Everybody is feeling a little fearful for themselves. They don't want to be, you know, their job or career to be um, side uh, sidetracked. They got they got commitments and mortgages and whatever. And so we we have these uh, uh, meetings where, regardless of what we claim, they're all about let's see who we can blame it on, uh, and they're insane. And when we get around it, is you just become aware of that. Say. One of the things here, the boss says, one of the things we're not going to do in this company or in this organization is we're not going to have, we're not going to play blame games. And when that starts to happen, the boss steps in and just says, stop, time out. We just slipped into that. We're not going to do that. That's not the point. Uh, the point is, what's the problem? How do we solve it? Let's get on with it. I feel like sometimes, you know, I have been in meetings, never at CTAM, of course. So you'll have the leaders and they'll be talking about the problem and the people in the meeting will suddenly start to get very sensitive and paranoid about being blamed. Yep. How can you stop yourself from getting into that mindset? I think I think now we're back to the uh, the bosses. If, if they um, not only say what I just said they should say, but but actually follow through and behave accordingly. They don't uh, say it and then come down and and after the meeting, you know, uh, hit somebody on the head. Uh, you know, you're to blame, uh, Fred, Judy, and by the way, forget uh, your next promotion. Um, if they both say the right things, we're not going to play that game, and then behave correctly following that, um, it, it increases trust. It, it reduces anxiety. And you can actually uh, get people to uh, not freak out uh, going into a meeting. Something's been, uh, gone wrong. You know, my God, uh, how do I protect myself? Um, it is possible. In the book, you've got some meerkats there. They have an innovative idea or have a great idea, find it really difficult to get in front of their bosses to outline their ideas and end up, there just ends up a massive communication nightmare. What should people do if they have one of these ideas and they're finding it hard to get through to their bosses? There are, first of all, there are always ideas out there. It is amazing what I've learned in the last five years or so, um, especially through a, a, a company I helped start called Cotter International, where a third shift manufacturing worker will actually have an idea that turns out to be brilliant that could save the company $100,000, and what he or she has been taught is shut up. Nobody's interested in this. As a matter of fact, if you get involved, your boss may get paranoid that uh, his boss will think that um, he's been suppressing the idea because da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So you have to uh, uh, build, and this is, uh, in a sense, what our meerkats do at, uh, at, the, at the end of the book, try to build a a new way that uh, um, allows those ideas to come out, um, be tested, um, uh, and from anybody, and from anybody. Um, uh, a t traditional management structure just doesn't allow that, you know, uh, at all. You're a professor of leadership at Harvard. Why are MBAs important? Well, 
he hesitates, uh, <laughs> not wanting to get in trouble with his colleagues. My favorite fight <laughs> is the MBA versus no MBA fight. Uh, yeah, yeah. See, the, the first MBA uh, was started in 1908 at Harvard. A little history lesson here. Mm-hmm. And the first undergraduate degree in um, business was started at Penn, uh, Wharton, maybe 1880, something like that. This occurred not because, uh, you know, some professor had some eureka. It's because we started building these larger organizations and, and the entrepreneur, the finance guys suddenly said, wait a minute, I can't run this anymore. I need help. And they were promoting um, uh, first-line supervisors who were better at kind of beating people than thinking. Uh, and they said, no, no, no. So we started creating a, a, um, a mechanism to uh, help people get the skills needed for this new kind of phenomena, this change phenomena in society. Um, uh, we now have the world flooded with MBAs, and um, uh, it's a legitimate question for any individual to say, um, is this going to help or not, especially if it's extremely expensive. It is extremely expensive. All right. How much is it at Harvard? Oh Lord, you know, you know, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year, and and if you want a nice place to stay more, because Boston's expensive, you know, uh, 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 and indeed we know that uh, some of the great entrepreneurial success stories have been people who decided they didn't even need to finish their undergraduate degree. You know, Bill Gates walks out. Uh, Zuckerberg uh, does too. Steve Jobs, uh, although not the same school. And it, so it's a legitimate question. Uh, for this time in my career, given the kind of employer I want to work for, uh, given the expense, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and the answer is yes for some people because the employers um, are convinced that that adds value and they won't uh, put you into the pipeline of uh, of a certain kind of job. Um, the high, prestige consulting firms expect you to get an MBA. And so, you you know, you either get one or don't go to those consulting <laughs> firms. Uh, uh, but anyway, it's, it's a legitimate issue and th- should be thought through carefully by everybody that's thinking about graduate management education. Very diplomatic advice there. Um, John Cotter, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. I have one final question, and that is, who would win in a fight, a meerkat or a penguin? Oh, Lord. Um, I don't, uh, my, my uh, uh, frankly, the meerkat would. I, uh, it's got, it's, it can be a, a pretty vicious animal, <laughs> I think. And, and penguins, uh, remember, I, in Antarctica, not to go off on a 10-minute thing, I promise I won't, they don't have many um, um, predators. The meerkats are surrounded by predators. And wily. Yeah, so they've had to develop some capacity to, and they're not that big, you know. They're little creatures. They're sweet and cuddly creatures, but they're small. So, you know, I've been on the Meerkats. John, it's been really good to meet you. Thank you so much. With thanks to our guest John Cotter and podcast producer Jamie Wareham, this has been City AM's Unregulated Podcast. 
hang about for this week's Twitter conversation. But also, <gasps> subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, all with RSS, all with your favourite podcast app. Remember, email advertising at audioboom.com if you're a brand that wants to connect with our ABC One millennial audience. And to this week's Twitter conversation, tweet me at Emma Hazlitt, that's with two T's, with what you have learned from Meerkats, and we are not talking about a well-known insurance comparison website. See you next week. City AM Unregulated is an Audio Boom production. Do you want me to make a compare the, compare the market joke? <laughs> Was it good? No. <laughs> this has nothing to do with a well-known insurance comparison site. No. Okay. <laughs> too, con- too contrived. I might put that in the bloopers. Okay, cool. <laughs>